Hello and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarland here back again after the holidays with Philip Sipe. We have returned. It's been several weeks, uh, both because of the holidays happening, uh, COVID continuing to happen, and then that's what we're here to talk about today, COVID happening. Um, the processing of COVID happening, the processing of trauma, the processing of cumulative trauma, and uh, like a lot of this for me is spurred by some of my difficulty dealing with my mental health right this minute um, with conversations I've had with some teens here lately from them processing and dealing with high school 2020. And um, Philip, you're in the trenches now, and I think you have a lot to add to the conversation. For sure. Um, it's, I, I think, you know, I, st I thought about starting off this episode with, you know, kind of a quippy joke, uh, uh, because like, we've never really addressed COVID in this podcast. So I was like, oh, I might start this uh, episode off with like, wow, have you heard about this thing called COVID-19? And then it just like, one of my brain cells immediately like dragged one of my other brain cells into a dark alley and beat it to death when it, when yeah. it started to think <laughs> that thought because i mean it does it does in many ways feel like the obligatory COVID episode because uh you gotta have at least one since uh it's 2022 and somehow um we're still here um despite at this point having uh all the tools as a species to um you know more or less get to a normal state uh but yeah. <laughs> and I mean, diving feet first, I think this is part of what makes it almost more difficult on my mental health now than it was in 2020. Because then I didn't know. I had hope. There was a reason to have hope. You could think maybe the systems are going to pull themselves together, or at least whatever comes after the systems is going to pull itself together. And we're going to be able to handle this thing. Like we're going to be able to beat COVID. And I honestly, and I, I feel like this kind of reverberates through a lot of other folks as like, nah, it's all busted. Like every, like there's no fixing it. There's no, like no avoiding the coming truth. And that infuriates me. Now I, and I know like some people I've talked to, it seems to like give them a column of like, Oh, we're just all going to get COVID and it's okay. And we're going to move on. It'll all be whatever. And like, it also infuriates me that that is like calming to some people. And I think, I mean, like I, I have loved ones who are immunocompromised. It doesn't calm me to think that, oh, we're all just going to get COVID and we're all good. Like, nah, we all get COVID. I have loved ones who have a good chance of not pulling through the trenches on the other side. Like that scares the shit out of me. Um, yeah, I, man, boy, do I have a lot of feelings about that. Um, it's, it's always really, really hard because like we make a lot of choices um, as a society that are, that, that do make the decision of um, how much blood is convenience and, you know, enjoyment and stuff like that worth. Uh, we drive cars, um, you know, cars, result in deaths that would definitely not happen if everyone was walking places and for that trade uh we get um you know a lot of benefits 
um, the ability to go to a lot more places than we would be able to if we were forced to walk everywhere. Um, you know, and I, I, I wrestle with, with it a lot because, you know, on the one hand, it feels um, very petty to say like, you know, um, people like, you know, people can't handle being quarantined forever. Uh, some people are going to die. Um, but we make those kind of trades all the time on the other hand. So it's like, I struggle a lot with it because like, as my wife, who's also immunocompromised, you know, and I have a lot of discussions about like, what are we going to do about it? You know, we've gotten our vaxes and boosters and all that stuff. Um, and I struggle a lot with the fact of like in 2020, when it was first all going down, right. And it was like, wear a mask, stay at home, do all this stuff. <clears throat> and I was hundred percent on board with that. And in some ways I still am, but you know, the idea behind it all was, you know, we do this for now until we figure out a solution to the problem until we have a vaccine, until we have all these things at this point, I like, so there was a, I'll, we can all do this together as a, as a society, as a species, as a, whatever to buckle down, stop unnecessary deaths and get to the point that we can all be protected. And now people won't get vaccinated <laughs> for all the same reasons that people wouldn't wear a goddamn mask. So now we're in this weird position of like, what, what is going to get better? That's the thing I keep struggling with. It's like, what's the exit here? Like, are we in a state where every, there's just a virus constantly going around and systems are collapsing all around us and we can't go out and do anything about it and build anything because then we're putting people at risk. And this is where I get into, I, I don't know if this is the right reaction, but it's the reaction that I have, which is that like, you know, I hear like Dr. Fauci get on TV and say, everyone's going to get COVID at some point in all likelihood um, with Omicron. And my reaction is like, I want to protect the people. There are people who can't get vaccinated for legitimate medical reasons. And it's not fair that those people are put at risk because of this whole thing. But to me, there's a tendency to um, that, that humans have of looking at the immediate cause and putting the blame on that instead of like the seeing that as the end of a chain of proximate causes. So like someone who's immunocompromised gets it, they die. We blame the person who didn't wear a mask, but that person got it from someone and that, you know, like there's a chain of events there. And to me, I think if you follow through on a lot of these, what you end up with is like, people who got it, who spread it and didn't get vaccinated, didn't do their job at like getting us to the point that like the people who can't literally can't get vaccinated can be safe. And all of these other structures around that where people are being forced to go to work with COVID, people are being like, you know, even like, like, Oh yeah, I've had the also, same complaint about the way the workforce sort of attitude. When it, like I was saying all this about the flu long before COVID happened, how dumb it is that people like had to go to work in the flu and spread it when if they would just like have a sick leave and the companies would stop doing it, like the companies would be better off to be honest. But this like obsession with having to go to work all the time. Yeah, and, and it's, yeah. And it's all of those systems all kind of working together. And now like just 
embracing a no solution system, like a no solution viewpoint is kind of what I feel embraced now. Like there is no, what is the solution to COVID? There isn't one. We've just given up any solution to it. It's just, I don't know, it's going to fuck us up for a long time to come. And that's not, I, I don't know what to say about that. Like it's not acceptable, but I got to accept it because it's the reality moving forward. But that infuriates me. And I also don't see how... I don't see how a lot of our systems operate moving forward under that principle. Like, so are we just like, it, is our system of education going to be sur- be able to survive through that? Like this, this is like, and, and I mean, that's a big question thing that I want to kind of not dive too much into big question things in this episode, but that does boil down into like my immediate anxieties right now in the fact that I work in parks and recreation, which, uh, is fundamentally a after-school program right now. Like, you know, that that's how it operates during the school season is it's an after-school program. Now, during 2020, during the shit, we were a virtual learning program. Like, so we prepared virtual learning academies. So it was a place where kids could go. Theoretically, it was an idea was like giving a space for kids to go who didn't have internet, who could do virtual learning. What it really equated to was childcare in place of school for people who can't afford childcare, which again is a necessity. Like people got to pay money for rent and they can't pay the money for rent unless they're at work and they can't go to work unless the kids are in childcare. And we have no system of structured childcare in America because we've relied on schools being the system of like childcare. So that got put off onto us. And one of our, like, it was terrifying for us because then all the schools are closed down because it's not safe for kids to be in schools. So instead, all the kids are crammed into even smaller rooms with our staff who are even less paid than the staff of schools um, taking on that risk. Because we're lower paid employees, the risk is passed down to us. And it was stressful. A lot of people got COVID and it was bad. And it was also a great relief to us personally when schools reopened and there there was like a hot potato moment there, right? Like, it's like, oh yeah, it's probably still not safe for these kids to be in school, but whew, not our hot potato anymore. So then the schools were open and now we're all watching as this hot potato is bouncing closer to us as schools start closing down. And like today they announced that all of Oklahoma City public schools are closed down for the next couple of days. Like they're saying they'll reopen in Tuesday, which is bullshit like makes no sense at how the situation is going to change from now to tuesday so we see that hot potato coming on tuesday where we're probably going to reopen virtual learning academies and it wasn't safe for the kids to be in school but now they're going to be in with us and that's so anxiety inducing but also like what's the solution to that immediately i i don't see one i don't see any solutions to these anxieties because the kids do have to be somewhere so that the like the, like I'm not blaming in any sort of way these parents because these parents got to get their kids into childcare somewhere because they've got to p- go work because they got to put a roof over their head. Yeah, there's a lot of problems like this where there are like system systemic failures that at the end point what you arrive at is a problem that is has no solution to it or rather the solution for it is so much bigger than the immediate problem that like, um, like homelessness, uh, particularly when police are about to clear a homeless camp, 
is exactly one of these problems where like if if the homeless people are causing you know damage and incidents around a particular area like you have this problem where like um you know you don't want to have them to go get kicked out you don't want to deal with any of that and obviously like i have all kinds of problems with police being the mechanism by which we handle this um uh, obviously but like fundamentally there's this this big problem of you know yeah they're causing problems where they are now where do they go right the they can't like where where do we where do you tell someone to go when they're being obnoxious in some place that you don't want them to be like hey go home you're done like you're you don't need to be here you're causing a bunch of problems in this business this establishment this party this whatever go home they don't have a home that's the whole problem that's why they're somewhere they're not supposed to be so like the difficulty is like the 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 de facto solution is go home but they don't have them which is the whole problem so like the solution is give them homes but that's a giant project that has to be figured out and worked out as you know a big policy thing and in the immediate sense of like what do we do in the next few days like there is no solution it's just like shitty things are going to happen because we failed these people a long time ago and now that failure is coming to fruition and you're gonna have to watch innocent people suffer because of a top level failure and to me a lot of times i feel like um whoever is in proximity to the the final culmination of that failure gets most of the shit as a scapegoat for the larger systemic failure and the systemic failure of like all the politicians and policymakers it's like whatever business owner happens to have the homeless camp on their camp is the person who gets scapegoated and like look i'm not a big like anyone who knows me knows like i'm not a big defender of business owners as a category of people but like you know random person with the homeless camp on their property is not the singular cause of these homeless people's problems like and the same way with covid it's like this hot potato like you're saying gets passed around and ultimately the problem is there's nowhere for it to go and you know people are going to say oh you know it's the school's fault for not preparing or it's the parents fault for not having backup plans or it's like there's going to be all kinds of finger pointing and blame and like the thing that bothers me the most is that like people don't want to turn and say like actually you know whose fault it is it's all of our faults all at once for not addressing these problems before they were so pressing for not having the systems in place to handle disasters and adjust for big events that will put pressures on our systems and just be like oh it'll be fine and then it's not fine and now people are looking around for who to blame and like there's a bunch of people to blame and in some ways everyone is to blame for not rallying for not doing more for not trying to push for the changes that needed to happen for accepting middle ground mediocre like compromise solutions um on the expectation that you were just going to have more time to figure out and get to the place that you want to be 
and you don't have that time now. And now there's not time to do the right thing. And there's two big things that I want to take away from that. One, I want to get to in a moment, and that is the toxic positivity of that. Well, I'll, we'll figure it out in the future. It's okay. We'll figure this out. Two is a perspective that I think we can learn from this that I think is very critical to educate us moving forward and a lot of other issues. And that is that as straight, white, cis men, this is a new feeling of being presented with these no-solution anxieties of systemic failings, and we're just like, there, there's no solving this fucking problem. And like, cause, and where, where I'm coming with this is like, I've brought this up to friends of mine who are black, brown, indigenous, LGBTQ, uh, you know, of, of a marginalized group, and they have said, yeah, no, that's what my life is all the time. And I think that's an important perspective for us to understand is that like all the like, or at least I should say for me, I, I shouldn't put that off on others. For me, that's a kind of an important thing to understand is like, you know, and even though like I, and I know that like, you know, at different points in my life where I've had a lot of ac economic insecurity, I've definitely like, there's been that over like that, that anxiety that hangs over it with that very critical element of just an unsolved like even with that you tell yourself that there's solutions like there's ways that i'm going to become rich one day i'm going to solve this problem by having my money but those kind of systemic failings where like like anti-blackness in america racism in america police racism in america policing issues as a whole for black people this is the anxiety that is life and I'm new to walking into with COVID and suddenly feeling like all of these systems are systemically structured to fail and it's a hot potato bouncing around and how how does anybody live with this bouncing around in their head and friends of mine are like you just do welcome to the party kid like I don't know I think that's yeah well and like a lot of the times like you experience that same sort of thing like you know, in the same way that like a black guy gets shot by a police officer, everyone's like, oh, he should have been more compliant or he should have done this or he should have done this and giving a bunch of like useless post hoc advice. Like you get people who are like, you know, oh, well, maybe you should have worn a mask or maybe you should have done this or maybe you should have done this. And it's just like, I mean, maybe, maybe that would have made the difference in this case. Maybe not. But like, honestly, fuck you for bringing it up at this point. Like, <laughs> yes, like, yes. We should have solved this problem a long time ago. We shouldn't have had giant propaganda engines poised to convince people that lies are truth in order to gain a political advantage for the right wing, convincing people that the vaccine is poison and that somehow horse medicine or whatever the fuck else is better. Like, despite the fact that no legitimate doctor who is not a giant con artist uh, and demonstrably so says that you should do anything but get vaccinated. And like, like obviously like the like saying, you know, Fox News shouldn't exist or whatever is like one piece of a giant puzzle of how to really address this problem. And, you know, um, of course, we could do our typical turn of like this today's today's uh, episode and 
why capitalism is bad but like and that's a part of it too but like even aside from that i I just think that like i i just see a lot of people nominally on the left who are ready to wield the sort of like like liberal obsession with individualism in america to badger people that don't um don't uh or oftentimes can't take every precaution um and 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 i just see the same like the same type of thing that like you know conservatives will do when it comes to like black people being shot i see liberals doing to people that don't wear a mask or whatever and it's like I I get so frustrated because I want to like yell at all these people and say like, you know, no, the, the problem is something we should have done a long time ago. And like now you put, you know, we've all gotten put in this position where it's gonna, it's gonna suck no matter what. And there's not a, um, you know, um, if your loved one dies, it's like, you got to put the blood on the right hands there, you know, like, and it sounds so heartless to say it like that out loud. And I, it feels bad to even say it, but I don't know what else to say. I mean, I have to imagine it's very similar to the extremely difficult and heart-wrenching conversations that have to be had. in a lot of these marginalized communities about like, interactions with the police is like sometimes you're going to get pulled over for speeding and every now and then someone's going to die as a result and it's dumb and it upsets me a lot um in both cases i don't know it's it's just a hard thing to deal with yeah and i mean and and my other issue that i wanted to hit on this like kind of toxic positivity which i accidentally even exemplified in my own life of when i talk about like times when i've had a lot of economic insecurity and like i eased that anxiety with this belief that whatever i was doing was going to make me rich and successful in the future it was this pushing off my immediate all, all of this anxiety into this like it's okay. It's going to be fun. We got a plan for this. Um, we're, we've, we've got a bunch of ideas and plans that are absolutely unattainable and ridiculous to do. We're going to put kids uh, farther apart from each other inside the same sized building. Um, you, know, we're, we, you know, we've been putting 30 kids in a room. Uh, now we're just going to put five kids in a room. We've totally got the same number of rooms, but we're going to find a way to make that work. We're going to put all new ventilation systems in schools schools of which don't actually have air conditioning in many instances we're going to uh make kids wear masks when we're we don't even have the staff to make sure that kids are in class we're going to hire more substitute teachers despite the fact that we pay substitute teachers seven dollars an hour and nobody wants to be a substitute teacher uh and our shortage of substitute teachers has nothing to do with how many we hire like you know and it kind of goes through this like line of almost bad faith uh situations but it's just it's it's like a toxic positivity because i think a lot of the people who say these things don't even mean it in a they don't even they don't mean to be in bad faith but it's so ridiculously absurd that it is feels like it's in bad faith and i i think it's something that we do as like a 
defense mechanism that we kind of... I think in some cases it is an act of bad faith. I think uh, for the people who are oftentimes in decision-making power or for people who have the money and ability to like, uh, you know, whose ox will get gored, I'll say, if people, you know, stay home or, you know, any number of things, like they know that the longer that they put off a real solution, the more benefit they gain and they don't care. Um, I think in some cases is active willingness to sacrifice people um, for personal gain in the most real sense. Like it's not even like, this isn't even like a Marxist thing of like, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you're siphoning off profits from labor to do the thing like, which is a kind of evil in itself in my opinion obviously but like like in in almost the most brutal way like literally sacrificing people in terms of like making them die so that they can continue to live comfortably do all that stuff and like i get that we make those decisions and sometimes those trade-offs are like worth it but like it would be one thing if it was like cars if these people were dying so that like everyone could experience some, some much larger benefit to their life, but it's not like that. It's a bunch of people dying so that a handful of people who already have all the wealth, money, and privilege in the world can have just a little bit more. And that's the thing that pisses me off more than anything about it. And unlike so many episodes we've done, I have no answer of what makes it better. I mean, like, and I, I'll, I'll talk about what has helped me right now is like uh, my brain is going through all of the stuff that we've just talked about, what helped has helped me. And it is recognizing, I think, that a lot of this, it, it isn't something that I can step outside Monday and fix by Friday. It's not, and, and I, I don't know that that helps me, but it allows me to allow myself escapism to hyper fixate on something that is probably not healthy and get away from things but then that also is like that brings its own guilt that brings its own problems that brings its own issues as you just said that part of the fucking problem of all of this is that we're all not active enough and we're all not doing enough and part of that is that we tell ourselves wow the world is shit so i just need to dive into escapism and so then we spend all of our time fueling the largest media industry on the planet and be in living in a country with all of these systemic problems that one thing happens because of the other. We live in a country with all these fucking systemic problems. And as an escape from that, we've created Hollywood. Um, so I say that, oh, that's my solution to helping my mental health. But then I also feel like that's the fucking problem. And I, I don't I, I don't know how to mesh those two. Well, that's just it, though, is like, I, I say we don't do enough. And that's to some degree a little bit of, I think, a an unfair distribution of the blame in that, like, in a sense, we as a country don't do enough. But, you know, I think you have to be very careful when you step out of systemic and into individual things to not bring the systemic blame down on individuals, like, the problem is systemic, and in that sense, we are all to blame. But like, if you want to get down to like what's right for you or me or any individual to do in this particular instance, it's a giant ethical 
mess. And I wouldn't presume to judge anyone's individual thing. Um, but what I do know is like, you know, I know that you, and I know that I, and I know that a lot of people that I know are involved and are trying to make stuff better. And we are constrained by the fact that we're individuals and we only have so much capacity to do the thing that we need to do in order to make things better. And what I also know is that I, there are people that I know who could do something and largely sit and do what they want. And they make a lot of excuses for it. Um, or, or maybe they take some of the money, the excess money that they make and they give it to some charitable organization and pretend like that's good enough. Um, yeah. Wipe their hands clean. Um, I, I, I would never feel comfortable passing, you know, like a judgment call on like who is and isn't like, you know, good or pure. I don't, I don't really believe that's how should view things in general, but like, what I do know is that like, um, I don't think that like, I think it's always a balancing act of balancing how much you give of yourself and how much you take for yourself. And I don't think it's wrong to engage in watching a movie or like, you know, like that, that's the thing that I always like, I always struggle with is like, it feels like the takeaway a lot of here is like, Oh, well, you know, like, watching a movie is bad now or like, you know, playing a game is bad now. And it's like, no, like if you're doing that and you're contributing to your community and you're trying to help and you're advocating for the right stuff, like you're fine. Like if everyone was doing that, this wouldn't be a problem anymore. Yeah. Um, Recharge is necessary. You've got to recharge. Like you've got to, if you, you got to hold yourself together. Otherwise you're no help to anybody. Which is also a cynical way of looking at holding yourself together because you should hold yourself together purely for the sake of holding yourself together for yourself, but. Oh, and because fundamentally no one can do it. Uh, People are people and your psychology is not made to handle being like a martyr or a completely self-sacrificial thing. Maybe there's a few people with probably some kind of like weird disorder or something like that can give of themselves infinitely and never expect anything in return and just take comfort in the fact that they're doing the right thing. But for 99.99% of the population, if the experience, the experience of fighting for what's right and doing a thing is often not fun and like if you do, if you are morally put into a corner where you have to do something that's completely miserable constantly, and if you ever do anything that's, that feels good or positive for yourself, that like you are doing a bad thing, what's going to happen is you're going to exit that community. If that's what like leftism and like pushing for the poor and working classes for people where it's miserable all the time and anyone who isn't miserable is chastised like you lose you humans will not do that i won't do that i don't know like it's just like it's nice on one hand to like look at characters and stories and and wish that we could be like some sort of like pure idealistic person that can sacrifice everything for the cause but like the reality is that like 
that doesn't happen. Um, when it does happen, it's because that sacrifice was immediate, not because it was sustained. I agree. I agree. And I, another element that I want to talk about, and I, and I think I, we're, we're kind of wrapping up into the end here, but uh, I, I don't, I don't think I talked about, and, and we, this has been uh, such a spirited conversation that I lost yeah. track of even like how long we've already been talking. And I don't even remember exactly all of what I talked about in the beginning. So I apologize if I'm retreading over ground here, but a lot of some of what brought this conversation up with for me was some mentorship I was doing with a 19 year old who graduated in 2020 and is now trying like looking at getting into college and they're going through a lot of the same things that I feel like I went through at that same age because like we we have some similarities in that like uh, th they left high school and then immediately went into the workforce. Um, and then are now looking at going into, co into college. And this was something, the, the same kind of path I went through. And there's like this weird little phase where you're, you've got people you know from high school who are looking at you like a grown adult now and people you're meeting in the workspace who treat you like a child. And nobody treats you like an equal at their level. Everybody is either looking at you as an adult or as a child. And nobody is like, nah, you know, you're just like me. So they're coping with all of that, which is extremely lonely and a lot to struggle with. Like, I know it was. I mean, it was a lot of why I went to college was because of how lonely I felt after high school. And on top of that, all of this unprocessed stuff around their graduation in 2020 and the fact that they basically lost they lost their senior year they lost their graduation they they don't have any conclusion to their high school experience and it's a lot and i mean like there's, there's like elements of that that i thought that i understood because like my wife graduated vet school in 2020 um and so I've been kind of like, oh, yeah, no, I get how that was like, because that was annoying when we had to do the like, you know, that. And I mean, and I know it was like a lot like I don't, that's not even to trivialize it for her. I know it had to have been a lot for her because, you know, four years of that education getting boiled down into not really having a graduation is like it was a lot. We had to cancel so many plans, cancel so many things around that. It was it was a lot. But. She was a 25-year-old, I mean, not not 25 at the time. She was in her mid to late 20s, and so were all of her classmates, and that's so much more to deal with at that. Like, you, you've got so much more preparation to be able to deal with that much going on in your life at that time than when you're 18 or 19, and you're already struggling with the transition phase from high school into adulthood and into college, and then you also deal with this global pandemic that has changed the entire world around you in a way that absolutely nobody relates to and nobody understands, and you've been the first person like ever to have virtual high school graduation at that kind of a scale, and Jesus Christ, it's just so much to deal with. And I think my message in this is, um, you know, one of the things we talk about in this podcast is mentorship and uh, parenthood and a recognition for a lot of us who pretty much, I feel like pretty much anybody who's listening to this podcast is probably closer on age with us than they are younger. Um, 
and just be kind to others and reach out and recognize what like in in general just recognize that everybody right now is going through some traumatic shit on different degrees but and, and like, i think a really big thing is also like don't um i don't know if infantilize is quite the right word but like like don't condescend to people in general um it's so easy to do with high school students. We so immediately want to be like, well, it's just your high school graduation. Come on, what's that? It's fucking everything when you're 18. And not just in the, like, way that we make it feel like, oh, it's everything in movies. Like, it's this big quirky thing. Oh, you'll get past it. No, I mean, it really isn't a hugely important thing to your life and the fabric of your life. Ripping that away from you is... It's the culmination of everything they've done for the overwhelming majority of their life up to this point. Like... It's not trivial, like, and like, is your high school graduation important in the grand scheme of your life? Um, it can be, but usually not. Like, but like, so many things... people end up having bigger things, you know, in their life that like dwarf the importance of what happened to them in high school. Sure, but like, the thing, like, the thing that it always bothered me as uh in you know in my late teens and my entire 20s basically when notably older adults would um treat everything i said in the way that you the with the with the style and tone of the the way that you sort of like talk down to a child like oh yeah no i mean that does suck honey but you know you're gonna be fine it's gonna be okay you know it doesn't matter that much. It's going to, you know, like that kind of attitude that really dismissed this, the importance of the things that like, and uh, that I was talking about and that sucked. And I don't want to do that to other people. Like I have, I talked to plenty of younger people, like, because I volunteer at the youth group at, at uh, uh, the church that I go to. And, you know, we get, people who are like college age, you know, early twenties in, uh, red or collective a lot. And I talk with them and I try, I'm not going to pretend like I've always succeeded at this, but, um, I try really hard to take their thing seriously. And I have the reaction of like, Oh, I actually don't think it's that big of a deal, but I don't say that, you know, I try to add some perspective in a like respectful and way that recognizes the um, realness of their own, you know, experience of saying like, yeah, I know that really sucks. Like I, um, I remember, you know, stuff that I went through around that time and that was like similar in this way and it really sucked. And, you know, I've kind of, you know, gotten this perspective on it and, you know, like that's just something, you know, that, is what, how I look at it with a little bit of distance, but you know, maybe it'll be different for you or, you know, like trying really hard to not pretend like, like, Oh, I know how life goes, buddy. And let me tell you how it is, you know, because like that just sucked. It sucked for someone, for people to do that to me. Don't do it to other people because it doesn't help. (laughs) They don't listen to you. (laughs) No. And I mean, and all of this stuff that 
feels trivial to us as adults feels trivial because it is trivialized with time. When you remove that time, it is objectively not trivialized. And this is true of absolutely any event that happens in our life. I mean, this can be a combat experience. This can be the experience of your firstborn child. When you look at the grand scheme of your life, it's going to trivialize with time as you, with your the, the birth of your first child, as you add together all of those experiences with your child as they grow in age, that birth isn't as huge of a deal as it is at that moment. After you've had six kids and you've been through the birth of six of your children, it's not going to seem as big as, of a deal as it was at the moment. But at that moment, if you were, if somebody was to tell you, Oh, dude, this isn't that big of a deal. Your all things are gonna happen in your life. This is just the birth of your child. Let's go get a drink. You would want to fight that person, like, and I think that's the pers the perspective of it. I think is very important, and I think we're really bad at putting be because we've had so much time to trivialize that experience for ourselves when we're talking about things for teens and kids. We've had so much distance from that. It's so easy for us to trivialize it that we that's just what we jump to. And we've got to actively try to not do that. Yeah, it's the to... curse of knowledge bias. It's like, you know what it's like to have gotten past that thing. And you may have lived with having gotten past it for so long. You've forgotten what it's like to feel it in the moment, mm -hmm. to know how big it feels like. It's like, if you've been through 15 relationships, your first, your perspective on your first breakup is, you know, like I was like, what, like 13 years old, like it was such a like, whatever, like not a big deal, like whatever. And maybe that's the perspective that everyone eventually gets to. But like, to act like the people going through that first one are like overreacting because they don't have that perspective. It's like, it's like expecting a baby not to cry because it bonked its head. It's like, that's like, of course they're crying. That's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. <laughs> like, is that an adult perspective? No. Like, should you try to help them understand to broaden their perspective and, you know, learn to be more resilient? Sure. But like, you don't do that by making them feel like shit for feeling bad. You do that by saying like, you know, by giving them comfort and trying to add a little bit of perspective and sympathy, like to the thing and not expect them to just be like, oh, you know what? You're right. Like I now have the perspective of a 35 year old or a 40 year old or whatever. And like, now I get that, like my first breakup at 13 years old is not a big deal. Like it, it is a big deal relative to their experience. It's a huge deal. It's a really painful thing relative to all the other stuff they've gone through. <laughs> like like and I, I don't know, like the the Olympics of trying, you know, of uh, suffering and, and is weird sometimes. And I think another important element of this that we've all got to keep in mind as we're co coaching and helping kids through all of this as it continues and as it worsens, as we've already talked about how there's no ways for this to get better. And that is the perspective of the problem to kids. Um, and what I mean by this is I've seen this happen a lot of times of wanting to be like wanting kids to see COVID as 
oh, this was just a year of your life. We'll move on. Or now it's, well, now it's, this has been two years of your life. Don't think about it too hard. Just move on and go back to the way you were before COVID. And that is one thing to say, like when we're talking about a six-year-old, these two years of COVID have been a third of their life. If I had spent 10 years dealing with COVID, to tell me that I'm just going to move on like as if it didn't happen would be irrational because 10 years of my life have been spent changed by a thing that's going to affect what I do moving forward. And this is ex just as true with kids. And this is something that comes up a lot when we talk about adults talking to kids and even adults processing the way that they see things as a kid. Like, you know, one of the things that we all have in memory is that like, uh, summer breaks were longer, which there is some data that does, I mean, there is like summer breaks have shortened, but also they felt so much longer because it was literally a bigger chunk of our life, you know, like a year's experience. I mean, this, this comes up to me all the time when I think about, uh, like I, I brought this up recently that like when I was in, I spent eighth grade. Yeah, it would have been eighth grade in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and not even all of eighth grade, just like one semester of eighth grade. It was hugely developmental for me. Like so many of the things that shaped who I am happened while I was in Harrisburg. Um, but it was literally four months of my life. Like it's kind of absurd when I think about, you know, when I constantly like, you know, when I talk about stories of like me growing up and I kind of keep referring to Pennsylvania, it seems a little silly that I put that much weight to that. But at the time, it was a much larger chunk of my life. And of course, it happened at just a very developmental age as well. Uh, but also, this is true of all of these kids. Two years of their life as a 13 or 14-year-old being spent in COVID, that's going to change their perspective of life moving forward. And that's just something I think we've really got to keep in perspective as adults who are, you know, and even though we are, like, you know, as we've talked about here today very clearly, like, a lot of the weight of this thing hitting our shoulders and feeling overwhelming and a lot of anxiety and just so much mental health issue, like mental health going on, coping with this. There's a lot of ways that this becomes progressively worse for kids. And I, you know, and, and it is a trauma to go through in virtual school and not being able to go to school, not being able to see your friends. All of that stuff is a trauma and a lot for kids to deal with, specifically for kids who have bad home lives to not have school. School is your only escape. And now you are trapped at home in these bad home lives. This is all very big and a bad like this is all a big, bad deal. That being said, we can't use that as an excuse for like, well, we can't we can't in any way do virtual learning or shut down schools because of kids with bad home lives like because this gets us into toxic positivity, like the idea of wanting to do a thing just because you think it's the thing that needs to be done, but not having any path to actually getting it done that is reasonable is a problem. And when we say, well, we have to keep schools open no matter what, but we have no plan for how to keep schools staffed with people who don't have covid that's also a problem. And that's just the kind of mental gymnastics we have to work with as adults. Yeah. It reminds me, a lot of it reminds me of like, like I think someone posted in a, in a discord thread that I was in a uh, thing that was like, um, you know, like people that are saying like, you know, like, but if we shut down schools, there are tons of kids who that's like, that's their only reliable meal that they get on the regular. And it's like, like, um, there's a, there's a subreddit called a boring dystopia <laughs> that 
Um, I occasionally look at that uh, is just rife with stuff like that. It's like, do you hear yourself out loud? Like, do you not see the problem? Like, I agree with you. That's a bad thing. Do you think the solution to that is to keep schools open? Like, the solution to that is to make sure people have goddamn food. <laughs> like, hello? <laughs> yeah. Schools are not family cafeterias. Like, ah. Uh. Yeah. And I mean, and I personally get elements of this. There were times of my life where school was these sources of food sources away from bad home life things you know escapism from different things it was my only way to like understand certain parts of like certain things about the world around me it would have been massively impactful on me to not be able to go to school for a school year um and it is massively impactful on these kids and it is a lot to unpack and it is a lot that we have to deal with but yeah like you like all of that like it also isn't a solution like, the status quo isn't the solution when you're recognizing that the status quo is shattered. Yeah. That's that's going to be, I think, one of the biggest impacts. I think a lot of kids, a lot of um, young adults are who are, are people who are early on in or coming into their adulthood, particularly um, teenagers and whatnot, are like i remember growing up there's this always this sense that like adults kind of like know about the world and they've got it figured out and it was like this process of going through college and like seeing you know people being a little bit more honest with you until you finally realize like oh all these people are making it up <laughs> they're pretending like they know what they're doing but they don't <laughs> because they're saying incredibly dumb stuff um incredibly ignorant stuff uh, and it's, uh, it was all a lie from the beginning that adults had any idea what they were doing. And, uh, I think it's, I think it will be very, um, I'll say at minimum fascinating to see what it's like having a generation of people who had that jammed in their face in a extremely obvious way, just watched, like, there's a general sense that like teenagers have that like adults fail them a lot. And like, you kind of gain some perspective and realize like, well, some of the ways you thought they failed you was just you being unreasonable. Some of them were legitimate failures and you kind of process and go through that. But like to have such a clear and unambiguous example of, of adults just completely shitting the bed, like on stuff that's like not even excusable. It's like, hey, school board, it's literally your job to make a plan for how we're going to handle this pandemic thing. And they spend an entire summer going like, oh, I don't know, we'll see. We're kind of hoping it goes away until they get like two weeks out from the launch of the school year and they go, oh, shit, I guess we better put together some sort of virtual option. Like it, like to, to see that happen in real time at a formative time, it'll be really interesting to see like yeah. and how I've... their perspectives develop. I've watched some of this happen in, in sort of real time. Um, now, it has been two different environments. Like, so I substitute taught in, God, now I have to do the math and think about, that would have been like 2014, 2015. Or was it when I came back from China? No, it was when I came back from China. It would have been 2017. 2017, I was a substitute teacher for a while. And uh, 
I mostly substitute taught high school, like younger end of high school and then middle school, which is exactly who I work with now, middle school kids and then younger high school and then some older high school kids. But specifically among the middle school kids, there was back when I used to substitute, there was kind of like I, I actually really enjoyed doing middle school because middle school kids still believed that you were the authority and that, you know, you generally could be trusted. Like they trusted you. They would, you know, ask and they were really inquisitive and would ask all of these questions and just, they were little sponges. They would just soak up information. They were just so curious about the world around them. Yeah. Middle schoolers. I enjoyed when I've done sub student teacher for exactly the same reason. They're, they're like right in that, like incredibly interesting sweet spot of like being old enough to process more mature and more interesting topics, but not, so old that they just like have like that jaded teenage sarcasm to them. <laughs> yeah. And the middle school kids I work with now, which are in a different environment, it is like, you know, like a low income uh, uh, black and brown community where there's a lot of other things going on that can cause you know, this jaded attitude to happen uh, because there's a lot more systems failings, a lot more systems failing these kids. But as an overall, yeah, no, these kids don't trust me. These kids don't. It's these kids are like 12, like, you know, well, ages 10 to 13, and they act like 16, 17 year olds, not with like their actions as far as, you know, acting above their age, but with like the jaded attitude they have towards adults and authority very much way above their age. And I, I really hope that that attitude translates into into the right direction because like that can be turned into like uh nothing like a sort of nihilism of like who cares nothing matters like i don't like that kind of thing or it can be turned into like um the kind of reaction that people have when you know like some centrist gets up and is like now we got to calm down this medicare for all stuff you know we got to be realistic and be like you know, like, fuck you, you, you're making, you're making up adulthood as much as the rest of us. This bullshit about this not being realistic is all because you benefit from the way that things are currently. Like, I'm not going to tolerate that. And I just hope that it develops into the productive version of that kind of like uh, distrust of authority instead of the non-productive nihilistic version. I do too. I really do. And uh Yeah. I think that's kind of all I have this week. That's a weird place to end, but I, my tank just ran empty. Um, yeah, it's rough. Like this is one of those like weird ones where you know, like, like you said earlier, you know, there's not like, and here's what you do, and this will make things better for you. Um, best best I've got is like, I try to follow, you know, CDC recommendations, and if someone thinks that. I shouldn't be hanging out with friends because it's too risky and I'm following the CDC recommendations. You know, you just got to say like, well, you feel that way, but <laughs> I've got to take care of myself and yeah. I don't think I'm being unsafe. So <laughs> like, yep. just, just live your life and, and try not to, you know, as long as you're doing it with, with care and respect for others within the bounds of reason, you know, that's all you can do. Agreed. And care and respect for yourself. Treat yourself with kindness. Um, you know, I, I just said, like, treat everybody with kindness because everybody's going through a bunch of traumatic shit right now. 
that also means you. You are going through some traumatic shit right now. Treat yourself with kindness. Recognize thing the this and do your best to process it and find yourself an even keel. Um, yeah. I know that you're not alone out there. I know that's a thing. Like for me, one of the, you know, like, you know, and I said like in the beginning of this episode that like I thought about starting it off as like, oh, have you all heard about COVID? And I angry myself. And that was like the why. I feel like social gaslighting is so big right now of like feeling like if you acknowledge the presence of COVID, everybody else in the room is like, oh, we don't really want to talk about that thing. That's not real. That's not a problem. We're and like, I recognize you're not the only one out here with all of this anxiety. You're not the only one out here taking shit seriously. You're not the only one with trauma and you're not the only one that doesn't know what to do with it. So and if you feel like that, it just means that the people around you are going to great lengths to hide theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that you're exceptional and, and being the only person that feels it. it's that you're exceptional in that you're the only one who has the courage to face it. And you should continue to have that courage. Um, it'll be better for you in the long run. All these people who are burying shit under the rug, they're going to have a, a giant tumor of emotion to deal with later. Um, so you're do- if you're doing that, you're doing the right thing, you know? And if you're not doing that, I would just say, try not to let, you know, like you know, do what you got to do to get through, but try not to let a huge ball of motion fester underneath. You're going to have to unpack that sooner or later. And it's not going to manifest in a clear and obvious way where it's like, Oh, I guess that's COVID. You're just going to get randomly angry or randomly upset at something. And, you know, not really understand why. And later you're like, I don't really know. I acted that way. And like, you know, it's going to be that kind of thing. Those are hard to unpack. Yeah, I mean, like, if that's where you're at, if you're hiding that, I really do recommend roll back to our anger management episode. We talk so much about that, how so much anger among men traces back to these things that we never bothered to process and we never let it outside of the rug and it festered and turned into these at random angers. And yeah, you're 100% right. And remember that some anger is, you know, especially like, you know, we've expressed some anger in this episode. And that anger is in some ways justified. <laughs> like it's okay to be upset with people who are, you know, not doing what they should do to protect those that can't protect themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day it is. Thank you all for joining us. <laughs>